This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, your source for Star Wars news and politics analysis from our nation's very own hive of scum and villainy, Washington, D.C. My name is Suara, and we don't have Stephen with us today, but joining us is a very special guest co-host who has been on the show before, Dr. Andrea Letamendi of Lattes with Leia and the Arkham Sessions. Drea, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing so well now that we're chatting. I'm glad to hear it. Thank you so much for coming on. And we are going into a pretty light topic. No, I'm just kidding. It's totally heavy. <laughs> never, just like most, never. Never. Never light. Uh, we are talking about themes of forgiveness, grievance, and redemption in the Star Wars universe, both on an individual level and on a galactic wide scale. We're going to be tackling some serious issues about characters that deal with trauma and victims and how villains, when they attempt to repent or atone, how they can really do that when we're considering all these various factors. And I couldn't think of anyone more perfect to talk about this than you, Drea. So thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. I'm happy to do it. And honestly, I think that these topics are very necessary for a larger dialogue. You know, of course, on Lattes with Leia, we talk about light things, we talk about fun things, we talk about serious things, we have a variety of, of different themes and different topics that that I think really run the spectrum uh, across, uh, just across, across tone and across um, seriousness or lack of seriousness as Amy mm-hmm. and I try to have as much fun as possible. Um, but I do think that um, that this topic is really, it's as you probably gather with most of your episodes, this is really bigger than Star Wars. This conversation is really about a bigger concept. Um, But I so much appreciate how you're going to bring Star Wars really to the, to the dialogue to help us better understand these concepts and to, um, to really give this just a a meaning, a, a, a sense of, a sense of purpose, a sense of like, can we get to a place that we weren't at before? And can we maybe develop ourselves a little bit more in the time that we're together. Oh, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to jump into this. I think that there are so many feelings about these sort of topics and the way we uh, sort of consume these characters in this narrative. But before we get into that main topic on our shows, we typically do a quick news section. So For some fun stuff, there are rumblings we may get a title and potential teaser for episode nine sometime soon. Drea, have you been hearing any of this? Are you? Do you think we may get a uh, some sort of teaser or title before Christmas or around Christmas? Yeah, I I haven't. I'm the kind of person who actually tries to avoid the um, a, a little bit of the gossip and the the rumblings because I get very excited or I could get swept away in it. So I, I try to stay outside of that dialogue until there's something more solid. But I just do have this sense that this holiday season is a good time to give us something. So mm. I am anticipating something might happen 
If not around the new year, then maybe in January. We need a Christmas gift. We need a holiday <laughs> gift. And like in, in lieu of a, an actual Star Wars film, why don't we get some sort of tease for next year? Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah. And now in not so fun, but also kind of bizarre, still bizarre news, that is the Trump administration. Uh, the Trump uh, Foundation just shut down and uh, with Trump's lawyers actually saying there's a shocking pattern of illegality, including unlawful coordination with the Trump presidential campaign, repeated and self and willful self-dealing and much more. Uh, Dre, I don't know if you've been following like the news closely at all, but things are seeming to come to a head with this administration. And it is, uh, I don't know, it's interesting to say the least. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be curious to hear maybe what, what you and Steven's thoughts are about this, but uh, you know, I know that maybe when Steven's back uh, he might have some, uh, some perspective. I, I am, I'm careful, you know, I, I, I don't want to get too, uh, I guess caught up in, in the messaging mm-hmm. and in, in the news cycle. But my sense is that the escalation is much faster and, and I don't know, I have this sense that this is different than the, I don't know, the Trump news cycle we've had for the last calendar year. I think that the escalation is, is just very, I don't know, it's, it's felt. And so I, I'm wondering if, if we're going to actually see some action taken. And I know that there are a lot of people who just want some closure to the, I think for, for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. regardless of where they stand on this, they want a sense of closure and a sense of, you know, just providing answers. And we're living in this like really interesting, political climate where, um, I don't think we feel like we are getting assurance. I don't think like we're getting certainty and, um, we have a lot of distrust and, you know, a lot of questions about even, even what, what, what the news is, is telling us. So I think people really are craving that sense of certainty and, and finality to this. I 100% agree with you on all of this, particularly about the notion that this is sticking. It feels different. It feels as though there are actual consequences at play. And I feel like the public feels that. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next year, particularly with the Democratic Congress coming uh, in with the gavel. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, she's going to be speaker again. It'll be interesting to see, but I think you hit the nail on the head that the overall atmosphere is a lot different. So uh, now on to some, you know, like serious fun stuff in (laughs) the Star Wars universe itself. Thank you. Thank you for that transition. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Always. It's always going to be an awkward transition. You can't really help it. (laughs) But so I... I just want to let our listeners know that I really wanted to talk about this in particular, actually, because of a because of a very recent episode of Star Wars Resistance. This is a show I love very much. It's my favorite of all the Star Wars animation so far. But they did an episode in which one of the main characters confronts a figure from his past and basically 
forgives this person for having done something so egregious, or maybe not forgave, but made the step towards forgiveness. But I felt like the storyline in this episode was rushed so much that it wasn't taking the magnitude of the tragedy that was done fully into account. I'm going to like go into some spoilers here. Um, It's essentially a brother to brother relationship in which the aggrieved party brother, Yeager, he lost his family due to an accident uh, that he caused years ago. And again, I felt like the episode didn't really tackle enough of what was really going through Yeager's head. And this sparked a sort of realization in me that maybe Star Wars hasn't typically done well talking about grievance. And we know that grievance figures into politics. You know, you've got the politics of grievance in which different groups blame others and individuals for their woes, sometimes even subconsciously. You know, a lot of politics is about placing game, placing blame. And, you know, in general, Star Wars teaches the lesson that you should at least consider forgiving the most egregious of actions. That's essentially what Luke did with Vader. And that it does take a tremendous amount of moral strength to do so. But we haven't really seen much uh, digging into the grievances of aggrieved parties. We haven't seen Leia fully on screen uh, grieve the death of her planet or uh, reflect on the fact that, hey, Vader is actually my father or her thinking about the actions uh, Ben Solo slash Kylo has taken. We haven't seen Luke reflect on the crimes of his father between episodes five and six, again, like on screen. And, you know, there are even complaints about Ray not having enough time to reflect on her traumatic experience and being seemingly quick to forgive Kylo for Han's murder. So... I'm wondering if there is like sort of this imbalance here, Drea. I'm wondering now you're someone who has a lot of experience analyzing villains and morally complex characters and their motivations here and there. But what do you think of this sort of dynamic and what some might call an imbalance as it were in star Wars? I have an appreciation for the complexity of of some of the things that you're saying that um, it does feel oftentimes like there's something missing when we we don't see a character fully process the wrongdoing of another character, uh, not just in the way toward them, the blame, um, the disappointment, the anger, you know, those like really strong secondary emotions, but some of the primary emotions, the sense of loss the sense of just uh, really processing the tragedy, um, feeling that something was taken away from them, feeling violated, feeling uh, taken advantage of. And I think that some, in some cases, we are better for those representations that we need to see that it's not okay, right? We need to see that some of these actions, some of these willful exercises of violence and murder. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times people are like, oh, so you like Vader? So what do you think about him killing all those children? (laughs) Uh, I, I mean, and I'm laughing. As I laugh, I realize I sound like the most horrible person. And I think I have to, you know, there, there are of course a lot of, a lot of things going on. Um, 
Uh, one is that I truly, I, I have a great understanding and respect for the original trilogy and the story that that tells. Uh, and, and that in, in that representation, we know what we need to know and it's quite moving and it's a full arc that gets us to a place of understanding. Uh, now with a, a longer sequence of history, way back, you know, I think, I think that I can try to make sense of that from the perspective of knowing like, well, a lot of this is augmented and added later. And so how does this change the way I feel about this character? And honestly, in many ways, that's a realistic approach to some people that we know. We may learn something about a friend of ours or a person that we're close to, a family member, uh, a mentor, and that new information requires us to adjust our perspective of them and in some ways make a decision about whether we maintain that connection. And so I do think, you know, I, I know we'll talk about a number of characters, but I do think that at the the pinnacle of the Star Wars story is this concept of, um, of redemption, of course. And I, I think you're right that the, the acknowledgement that there was wrongdoing. And, and for me as a psychologist, the acknowledgement of trauma, the acknowledgement that loss and, and violence was imposed on somebody and we don't always see the results. We don't always see that full uh, processing of that is, um, you know, it's, it's a gap in the storytelling. Having said that, we can still kind of see the people involved you mentioned Ray. I mean, Ray is, is such a character who I think can still tell us a story of, um, of overcoming that loss and integrating that loss into her personhood. Um, yes, she saw, she, she witnessed with her own eyes, Kylo murdering Han and yet she moves forward and has to integrate that into her overall sense of self. Can I trust this person? Is association with this person going to, um, somehow going to impact my own sense of personhood is, you know, she struggles with this. Can I align with this person? And I think those are realistic perspectives and decision-making because really in our world, for the most part, we don't have good and evil. We don't have hundred percent good people and hundred percent evil people. Yeah. And that's something I really did appreciate about the last Jedi and Ray's journey, particularly in it, that she could make this connection with someone she thought she had fully pegged uh, from the force awakens. And she really takes the audience with her on this journey I understand 100% the criticisms that Ray's story was so reliant on both uh, Luke and Kylo, but she did get to do some self-exploration as well, particularly in the mirror cave, when she realizes that part of her realization that it needs to be her own self-worth and not her reliance on others. I think the frustration really comes from the fact that so much of this was actually in subtext. And I had this realization the other day talking with a friend. The storylines in The Last Jedi that 
have the most descriptive qualities about them are Kylo, Luke, and Leia's, the Skywalkers. But for the main protagonists, Ray, Finn, and Poe, so much of it is in subtext. I think that is part of the frustration of the film for so many people. And that's not to say, like, I would never dare say, like, oh, you're dumb for not realizing that. Or no, this is art. And you can interpret it however you want. In, but again, in Ray's, uh, yeah, like her, I, I agree with you that she does evaluate this new alliance, new potential alliance with Kylo because she is a pragmatist. She's a scavenger who will take whatever she needs to try to win the day in the end. And she says point blank to Luke at one point, this could be how we win because she does sense that conflict within Kylo Ren, but it doesn't go the way she expected it would like Luke did with Vader. And And I'm I'm not even sure. Yeah. Just interject. I I don't think that she has this. um, I think that of, of all the characters, she's, she's likely not the most emotionally intelligent. I think she's developed so much in what we've seen of her. I'm only saying that in comparison to say a character uh, like Luke. But I do think that we have to consider the importance of valuing a person's ability to, in thinking of Kylo, like a person's ability to, um, to partner with good, to, um, to have a turning point, to understand that their pathway toward violence or toward destruction may not be the best way. And, you know, Maybe that's a bit optimistic, um, but in my experience, the best approach toward individuals who have that propensity or have this worldview that you just need to be um, destructive before somebody is destructive toward you, uh, which is a, a learned a learned value. Sometimes compassion toward that person and a willingness to show another future, to show another pathway is a good approach. I think that's rather intelligent when it comes to EQ. So so for for folks who are like, how could she forgive him and and why would she, you know, I, I think although I don't know how intentional that was, there there is there is some value to that. There there are some um some intentions there that are actually based in um in effective connection and social building. She definitely develops a lot in her social building over the course of the two films, which is like, you know, her being so strong in the force, I think that adds to her emotional capability or like her emotional learning throughout, you know, when it goes from BB-8, the first friend she's ever really made since being abandoned to Finn, to um, like others in the resistance, to Luke, and then to Kylo. Like it's that gradual building sort of thing. And I guess like, I, you know, I really love these films. I guess if I could just change one thing, I do wish Ray had more of an internal monologue. You know, I think because so much is baked into the subtext of the last Jedi, people have, you know, it's art again, people have put on their own interpretations of what they think 
she is feeling or thinking in these scenes, which is good. You know, like that, that's a great way to interpret your art sometimes, but I think it has led to some frustrations, arguments, even in fandom of like what she should have done or if she was being manipulated or stuff like that. And I think those are fair discussions to have. It just, so much is baked into this emotional core of it. Again, like Ray, essentially as a trauma survivor, so many people see themselves in her. And I think that is like empowering for her, especially in The Force Awakens, for her to overcome the, uh, her, the, the worst, the bad things of the situation she's in. I was looking for where I forgot, <laughs> but <laughs> it like, it's interesting. I really think like how this is played out because I think with the sequel trilogy, especially we've latched on so much to the, to some of these characters and it's very personal. Yeah. I want to move on to uh, another topic about redemption and atonement. So we're kind of going on the flip side here. So again, redemption is baked into the fabric of star Wars since episode six and Vader's uh, saving his son and George Lucas has hammered down. Like he was redeemed. Like he fully felt back into the light side, but it was only a couple of minutes in that film. Vader. Now, Drea, you're one of the people I know. Wait, wait. Really, <laughs> oh, sorry. What do you, it, what was, what was only a couple of minutes? Uh, like his um, turning back to the light side at the end of Return of the Jedi. Like you see, that's, like, got it. That, that's what I was sort of, but again, like it's still morally complex and maybe he was in that gradual transition since he met Luke in empire. We could discuss that later. Uh, but yeah, you know, Vader better than anyone I know. And like, (laughs) I, I, you know, I'm really curious for your thoughts on how, uh, Anakin Skywalker really grasped at grasped the magnitude of his actions. And if he would have taken some of the right steps to actively atone to not just say, Oh, I'm a good guy now, but, I am going to atone for the various bad actions I've done. And I'm wondering as well if the Star Wars franchise has done a good enough job of showing this, not just the internal battle of like, oh, am I on the light side or the dark side, but really grasping the sort of fallout from their actions. And this can apply to anyone in the franchise. Yeah, I I've always I've always looked at Vader in a very holistic way. It, it, meaning meaning that I think we we tend to get we tend to fixate on some of these really egregious actions and um and what I appreciate about this character, and you know, this is often my response when when somebody tries to catch me in a, I don't know, in some kind of trap. Like, oh, so you think you're a good person, but you like Vader. So what's going on with that? Um, and I always, I, I always try to to lighten that up with like, I think this is meant to 
spark our curiosity about um, psychological change. I think this is meant, now maybe, maybe not designed from the very beginning, but as a whole, I think this is meant to teach us something about redemption, um, but especially about our ability to understand how someone got to a place and why as, you know, as, uh, as terrible as they could be, as, uh, as unforgiving we could feel, I think we still, you know, this, this still is a, is a, allows us to have some consideration and curiosity around, um, what we do with this. Um, specifically for, for Luke, it's, this concept of family and, um, you know, parental bond. And for me, yes, here, there, here are all these things that this, this villain did, but for Luke, a lot of the, a lot of the discord, a lot of the, uh, I think I'm now sort of projecting here, but a, a lot of the pain is you weren't apparent to me. Like you, you were not, you did not, you were not interested in, um, in my positive development. Sure. There were, there were some, um, invitations to join the dark side, but that really wasn't about that connection. Um, but, but looking back at that, you know, again, I think what this helps me understand and, and how this helps me teach other people about redemption is, um, the concept of, of, um, of trauma, the concept of adversity and how we develop worldviews. And so with Vader, I, I wrote this piece for birth movies, death a couple years ago, this love letter to Vader. And it, it really kind of starts out with the fandom of this and how, um, we can't deny the, the affinity we have. We can't deny, you know, you see it three and four year old kids with, you know, little Vader water bottles and, resting their heads on Vader pillows, um, you know, ask them before you ask me, like, where, where did this connection come from? <laughs> um, and they can give you, you know, really honest, authentic answers about this character being so curious. Like this is a character that they automatically join with. Um, and, you know, we can go into why that is if, the, if this were a show about villains, if this allows, this is a socially acceptable way for me to explore this whole thing about like being a mean person, but also where does that come from? Um, so as a psychologist, I always look to like, well, what happened to this individual? Um, in what ways did society and family and people who he should trust and he did trust betray, violate and abuse him? Um, take advantage of him, demonstrate to him that actually the world is dangerous. And I think that over time he integrated those, uh, those ideas into his own values. And he really internalized such negative perspectives and eventually a worldview schema that was so destructive and ultimately, you know, led to destroying people. And I think that that's, that's something that is, you know, it's a, it's a good concept. It's a dialogue that I think needs to happen. Um, so it, yeah, I, I think, I think there's so much to that story that allows this dialogue to happen and to then on the other side of it. So what does it mean to 
what does it mean to to for, forgive this person? What does that look like? And I think for us, especially now, we actually, for the most part, I, f- I feel like right now we're, we're living in a very unforgiving society. Right. Um, I can't mess up. I feel like I can't mess up. Um, and I think a lot of people feel this way. I can't say the wrong thing on social media. I can't use the wrong word. I, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm being judged. And I think some of that is, um, is because we are quite harsh with each other. And I think that, you know, and, and I'll, you know this, but what I'll say is that I work on a college campus and, you know, I can, I can tell you there are a lot of interactions that happen between students and between professors and students and staff and students. And there are a lot of problems related to this sense of, of being unforgiving and, young people do internalize this and do feel like, oh my gosh, I have to be perfect because if I mess up one time, it, the, the consequences are so unbearable. I could be, I, I could be dismissed. I could be asked to leave. I could, you know, I could be accused of something, you know, really horrible and, and that terrifies me. And I, I do think we have to work on being closely connected, having dialogue being respectful, treating everybody with dignity, even the folks who slip up and yeah. say things and are not willfully, willfully horrible people. That's the real uh, I, I, that. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really important. Yeah. It's like with Vader and with Kylo to some degree, they're presented as rather the most extreme possible examples of a fumbling up of a fear of not being a perfect standard for society. And through making all of those mistakes, it's led them to that status, unfortunately, of being the like main villain in these stories. And it is, yeah, that is an extreme, extreme example. And like they do willfully make choices, but it wasn't always like that there was this period, this point at which they were making mistakes, not because they wanted to, but out of a reaction to their own sense of insecurity and perhaps the placement, definitely the placement of burdens upon them. I think, you know, I've heard this a lot from a lot of friends who are really big proponents of Kylo Ren's redemption that they see him making up for his past mistakes as a sort of iconic example of someone who could mess up so much, but could take the steps to actively work to make up for what they've done. And It's fascinating, especially, I think, with Kylo Ren. You know, he's one of the most fascinating characters in fiction. I'll just say that. That you either, when you look at him on screen, you either love him or you hate him. Like, this character in particular evokes such strong responses out of people. And I think a large part of that is because we do see so much of his humanity, both the bad and some of the good aspects 
it real again, it really evokes something out of people. And I want to like move to, on to a question like uh, for both uh, Kylo and Vader, but how do you think, like, let's say Vader had lived and let's say Kylo Ren somehow redeems himself in nine and starts to work to actively atone. How do you think the galaxy at large would respond to these, to like their menaces, like all of a sudden trying to do good and trying to apologize for the massive amounts of atrocities that they've committed. I, typically, if if they reflected our experience, our world, I, I think that that his turning point and his um, his new reflections, his new attempts at uh, uh, finding a sense of belonging that isn't down that dark path, I think he will be met with resistance. Um, again, because we will, it, we have a hard time understanding that holistic perspective and, and, and the, you know, the complexity of human behavior. I, when you were describing that, I, th- I thought about Darth Maul, um, because there's, um, is it in Rebels? Yeah, there's, there's, in Rebels, uh, yeah. is this sounding clone? Yeah. There's this, there, there are attempts there to be, um, to being characterized differently by the writers and by the character himself. And I loved that sort of, um, that curiosity with somebody as a character, somebody as a person. Um, what is immutable? What is fixed and what can change? And I think there are people on this earth who believe once you have, past the point of no return, whatever that may be for people, you know, you've enacted violence or you've willfully harmed somebody physically. And there's, there's a stronger line for this than emotionally that, that physical violence is, you know, such a harsh line. Um, whereas you see so much emotional, um, I would, I don't know, tolerance, a tolerance for emotional pain, emotional abuse. But where I'm getting at with this is that for some people, once you cross that threshold, you, you will never be characterized differently. You have, you have demonstrated who you are at the core. And in some part, I have, you know, I, I, I believe that that's valuable, that's worth considering that like, yeah, I, I don't know how forgiving I could be with somebody who's past that threshold. On the other hand, when we think about these fictional characters who allow us a little bit more um, of exploration, and and I, I like what you said about like, you know, these are more extreme examples. These these allow us to like really get into it and 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 exercise our judgment and our consideration and curiosity. Um, I, I really think we are asked uh, to be thoughtful and and you know with Darth Maul I, for for us to see an experiment with that what do, how do i feel about this change or do i believe him um and i and i think a lot of us in reality uh do not believe that a person can change yeah that is very baked into 
our society. Like when you look at criminal justice, this is an issue Stephen talks a lot about. There's actually a bill just passed in the Senate, which is you know great news about criminal justice reform. We are really terrible here in the States about that. We are so incredibly harsh for some of the most minor of offenses that don't have to do with any bodily harm towards others, but, you know, just for smoking a joint or something like that. It's, uh, we're a very punitive society and we don't really, like in the U.S., I will say, I don't think like we focus enough on, uh, what's the word I'm looking for on reintroduction to society, just on really those punitive Mm -hmm. measures. I'm not saying like, Kylo Ren is going to go to a correctional facility and, you know, he'll come out like as a better galactic citizen or who knows, maybe they will do that. I'm not writing the story. But again, through providing that extreme example, as we both noted, perhaps there can be a lesson there. I'm really not sure because, again, it's the sort of tug and pull with having these this sympathy for these villains, but also for their victims. And it feels like you have to pick a side. I think that's where it comes down for a lot of people. Like that if I say, like I'm in honestly kind of the middle on a Kylo Ren redemption, but I always think about how he hurt Finn in The Force Awakens. I always think about how he... Uh, you know, basically refused Ray in The Last Jedi to come back to the good side after she had shown him so much goodwill and he had called her nothing, which is a very horrific thing to say to anyone. And it's, again, it's that tug and pull. And it's like, I want comeuppance for my favorite characters in Finn and Ray, but I... I don't know. It's like, you, you understand what I'm trying to say is that it feels like I have to choose a side here. Mm-hmm. And Star Wars is about choosing sides. This, this is a fundamental concept from day one. You know, are you, so are you an Imperial? Are you a rebel? Are you, what are you? Figure it out. Choose, you know? Um, and I, I think what, what I appreciate is that what's also a fundamental concept is um, transformation and the possibility of those sides not even being fixed. And I, you know, I think when, when we see um, some of the, some of the storyline, some of these, the side storylines, for instance, in, in, um, in The Last Jedi, we get a glimpse of that, uh, of this concept of you're kind of fixated on this side versus this side. And you're not realizing that the bigger picture is not just not about this, but also, you know, actually a little bit more horrific than this. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I appreciate that about some of the tones and, and some of the, some of the, the narratives that are included here that, um, yeah, we get kind of fixated on this and, and then the same, the same story will tell us, um, it, you know, step away from, 
from that categorization, step away from us or them, us versus them. Um, because, and, and I'm sure you get into this on your show a lot more. There's more, it's just more complex than that. You know, or even this political system that claims to be this or this, this or that, uh, blue or red, it, in reality, it's actually much more complex. Yeah. As we were discussing with our friend Kate Sanchez on uh, this, the discussion of Cassian Andor and him getting a TV series, he's been in this fight since he was six years old. And that means he and his family were fighting against the Galactic Republic before it became an empire. The, the empire was exploiting his planet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's not as clear and cut. Well, and, and that, yeah. And, and that, you know, I think I really love that line of, of dialogue or, or that interaction too, of, um, the, the concept of when you pick sides is important. Oh, you're picking sides now or you're joining now when, I've been fighting this fight for my lifetime. And, and you know, what's, what's um, really grounded in, in that accusation or, or, you know, in that defense is this concept of um, commitment and dedication that is apparently only demonstrated through years of service. <laughs> uh, and, and that's, and it's such a, it's such a representation too of the fandom. Like, Oh, now you like star Wars. I've been in this for, I've been fighting this fight for a long time. I've been bullied for this. I earned this, you know, like the, this, this concept has, um, has come up and, and, you know, again, I, I just appreciate that, that, that was a treat for us to then build a dialogue from it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I want to move on to talking about forgiveness for the grieved parties to actually actively forgive their, like the villains or potentially abusers and like the ones who had inflicted this trauma on them. We had, you know, Luke, again, the prime example is Luke, um, forget essentially pre-forgiving his father attempting to save him in return of the jedi knowing he had committed all of these various crimes and we see leia and han attempt to forgive their son or get for we see them forgive their son in the force awakens but they paid or at least han paid the worst possible price imaginable for putting his faith in his own son, the way he was quote rewarded was, it was horrific, honestly. In general, we're so much more forgiving of Vader, but forgiveness of Kylo is so much more contentious in fandom. And I think a lot of that has to do with his killing of Han Solo, his own father and one of the most famous characters in the franchise and we see Ray attempting to forgive and attempting to save Kylo in Last Jedi, but she fails. I'm wondering if there might be a sort of theme here of it only really being in family spaces where forgiveness is not only possible, but it's fully actively encouraged where these familial bonds will like push them to 
really try to save each other. And I'm really curious what you think is going through each of these various characters' heads as they're uh, forgiving and attempting to save uh, this other these other people. Well, I think what you say about family is is really important when it comes to the impact or influence somebody could have on drawing someone toward a turning point or uh, leading them to another side. There's, there's just something there about that connection that I think is valuable. Um, And one of those things, uh, something that I wanted to make sure to talk about, especially with Kylo is this concept of his inner voice and in some, in in many cases, when we think about the inner voice, uh, I, I'll I'll be completely um, self-disclosing on your show and say like, um, yeah, I'd say that everybody has some kind of inner voice. My inner voice is often uh, critical and often judgy, and will point out if I just accomplished something or tried to accomplish something. My inner voice will, um, maybe there were 99 things I did right. My inner voice will tell me about the one thing I did wrong for hours. (laughs) So I don't know if that's relatable or not, just person to person. I think that's totally relatable. I totally have an inner voice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So is your, and, and sometimes I tell people who are like unsure, I'm like, okay, the inner voice, if it's critical, if I, if I would, just suggest like you have an inner critic somewhere in your head. Sometimes that inner critic is so powerful that you give it so much airtime. You just give it so much opportunity to reflect on, on you, what you did wrong, how you said a thing wrong, how you you know, messed up on that project, how you said something publicly and should have taken it back. You know, again, drawing this back to our conversation about messing up and setbacks and and just you being human because we're not perfect. But the inner critic who is a perfectionist will let us know pretty consistently and frequently how we're effing up. I think that if I consider Kylo and and one of the reasons I like Kylo as a character and and maybe giving us more humanity than a character like Anakin is that we are really getting to know uh, Kylo's inner critic and this prominent um, very evaluating judging presence that's causing this discord that's causing self-doubt, anxiety, anger. Um, This is not an integrated person. This is somebody who's lending a lot of airtime to that inner voice. And I think that, so one of the reasons why I bring this up is that, well, a lot of times that inner voice comes from somewhere. And when when I talk to people about their inner voice, I'm like, does it sound like somebody? Does it remind you of somebody? And oftentimes it's a family member or it's plural family members or it's societal pressures. A lot of times those are external pressures, the shoulds, the musts, the have tos. 
And, um, you know, again, in thinking about the high pressure, um, perfect Instagram society that we live in, that voice can be really prominent. With Kylo, my suggestion is that in order for him to move forward, in order for him to have compassion toward others, like Ray, in order for him to have authentic compassion for Ray, he has to have some compassion for that inner voice. He has to quiet down that inner voice in some way, whether it's giving it some attention and compassion, but gently, this is a mindfulness technique, right? Like gently acknowledging, okay, I see that you're there. I see that you want to tell me stuff. You said it one time and you're done. Good night. Like get out. Um, So it's almost an acceptance concept or an acceptance um, process where he's got to just draw attention to that, build compassion for himself this is a this is a difficult process, right? But I don't see him being compassionate toward anybody else until he does that. His destruction of Han was some uh, was unfortunately an unsuccessful attempt yeah. to quiet down the yeah. chaos in his head, right? Um, and and like you said, it just a, a horrible horrible outcome for somebody who was extending their compassion toward him. It's like so many people say this, like hear this in like self-help books or I don't want to like compare this to that. Sorry. But there's something you hear around a lot that before you can extend compassion towards others, you have to have it internally. And yeah, Kylo in the films he does not seem to really like himself and he takes his frustration and anger out on everyone else around him. Question for you. What do you think the um, forgiver in this situation, Ray, what do you think her inner voice is like? Oh, great question. Um, I think that she has, I think they're almost opposites in that, um, at least in the beginning, you know, in the force awakens in the beginning of the last Jedi, um, Kylo, some, someone may say like, well, well, Kylo clearly has high self-esteem. Like he thinks he's going to rule this galaxy. He's like definitely high on the self-esteem meter. And I want to be careful to, to clarify that self-compassion is not the same thing as self-esteem. Self-esteem comes from external comparison. Self-esteem is, oh, I'm just as good as everybody. I'm, you know, I'm comparing myself to uh, the folks around me. I'm, I'm looking to those external comparisons, those external circumstances, um, those questions of, am I strong enough? Am I smart enough? Am I powerful enough? I bet he thinks he's powerful enough. Self-compassion is very different. It's, it's that, it's, it's more of sort of this very, personal forgiveness. Everyone makes mistakes. It's okay. You had a setback. You're fine. You're going to be okay. It's the things, it's the, the best friend. It's like, you know, I appreciate that you, you see, you know, when you mentioned self-help, like it is kind of some of that, that stuff we see there. Like, what would your best friend say to you? You, you know, 
you these are internal circumstances. You need to turn inward and comfort yourself because you're okay. He doesn't have self-soothing, self-comforting skills. Ray is sort of the opposite, right? Where I think Ray does have a lot of self-compassion. I think Ray is quite thoughtful about, you know, she had somebody tell her that she was nothing and she was able to recover psychologically from that verbal attack. But does she have the self-esteem yet? Again, self-esteem being the belief that you're just as good as other people or that you are deserving of being powerful in this society. And I think that's where we want to see that growth. So I, I kind of sidestepped your question, but I, I think it's a matter of, no, no, not at all. Of, yeah. of that. I mean, I think you sort of opened up the discussion further. Like where did Ray get this capacity for self-compassion? Do you think it might've been a sort of survival mechanism sort of growing up on Jack who? It's definitely the bond with the guy who gives her um, the bread. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's not that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, um, thriving in what could be considered, you know, a pretty desolate environment. Um, we also don't know a lot. We, we don't know a lot. We're, we're kind of in that, um, in, in that uncertainty and unknowing place. I, I want to know a lot more about what happened to her and, and we don't have all the answers. Um, but I think you have a really um, important point, which is that she may have had to develop the sense of self-comfort and self-soothing um, because she was uh, experiencing a pretty, uh, a pretty adverse environment. So I, I think you're onto something with that. Thank you. I like, I'm glad that you like my head cannon. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, well, you know, so yeah. many people have said, and Amy, my co-host has shared with me, like we really have so much appreciation for that one scene where she's putting on, um, you know, the pilot helmet and she's, I don't know, she's leaning against Nadat, uh, eating something. Do you, are, are you, is this familiar with the scene? Yes, very. Yeah. <laughs> and so we've, we've been, we've struggled to really articulate why we really liked having that moment with her to kind of see her in this quiet solitude. And I think it's because we understand that she's content in this moment, like not in the bigger life, but in this moment, there's a, a level of contentment and pleasure with where she's at. And, um, there's almost a, a gratitude of what she has, uh, in, in juxtaposition with, uh, a more whiny Luke who also has big aspirations, but who maybe isn't as content with just being who he is. She has so much more of that sense of humility, which I think has done her very well, surviving on Jakku and getting herself attuned to the force to be able to beat Kylo on a Starkiller base. And it's still helping her. You know, she still struggles. She's still, I think, especially in The Last Jedi, is tempted. She's, and I think like this is like a contentious point for so many people with The Last Jedi and Rey's journey in it, is that 
she is, I will say, I think really psychologically beaten down. I think that she continues to undergo reminders of her trauma and she experiences like, you know, hope, but then it gets snatched away from her and everyone around her is just failing her. And it's still like, she's expected to be strong and bounce back. So again, I think that frustration for a lot of people really is that she doesn't have enough time to fully grieve for herself. I, you know, I thought the cave scene mm-hmm. like really did display that, you know, we see her break down crying, but again, we could have used more of that internal monologue. I understand what was there in the subtext, but I understand also why that wasn't enough for a lot of people. Why, why, um, why are people disappointed or, I don't know, dysregulated by that? Like, what do they need to happen there? I think it just really needs to be some sort of like full recognition in for herself of her trauma and what she's been through for her to have a discussion with someone like Leo or Finn talking about her experiences, talking about what she had to go through. And she honestly did have that in the last Jedi, but it was Kylo. It was someone who is again, one of the most contentious figures in fandom and right. I think they would, yeah, they would have liked it if it was Finn or Luke or someone to who they could perceive as being really nurturing towards her. And Daisy Ridley says this herself, like she said, she expects to find that nurturing in Luke, but in fact, she finds it in Kylo. And I think that sat wrong with a number of people. Mm. But, you know, that that is sometimes the curve and the road. Um, those desires and wants we have from other people, those expectations we have aren't always met. And, and, and I don't, you know, I, I say this because I, I think, you know, you know, this pretty well about me. I operate from what I'm given. I don't do a lot of like, I I don't have a lot of demands for what something should have been. Um, especially in, in the, um, you know, from the creative world, unless there's something like really glaringly, um, stigmatizing about mental health or, you know, just unnecessary, uh, as far as, as far as that goes. But I tend to work with what we're given and, and try to place it and understand it. Um, I do think though, it's still valuable to think about like, what, what were the gaps for the fans and what was needed, what was missing, because there's a relationship there that, that is, is very real. Um, that that parasocial relationship is very real feeling, and I acknowledge yeah. that. Yeah, I acknowledge that we we want to um, to listen to that feedback. Um, but yeah, I I could see that that being the case that not enough was given to 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 the rest of us when it comes to her processing some of this adversity and trauma, and um, really allowing us to see her grow in those directions. It's it's so fascinating the level of depth I can get into on conversations about the sequel trilogy. And unfortunately, our time is running out, but uh, I just really appreciate this discussion. I think that it gave me a 
sort of new angle with which to view these relationships in the films and understand that, I, I mean, I already knew there was so much at play here, but this conversation has given me like a really great, uh, more insight into that. So thank you so much, Drea. Of course, you know, I, I love having these conversations and I appreciate that you are giving me this airtime. So, um, I just want to share my appreciation for that. Thank you so much. Uh, and just before we go, we're going to skip uh, Bantha Fodders because we're running uh, out of time here. I just want to give a very special thanks to our patrons uh, on Patreon who really help, who, who really make this show happen, who covered the base fees for me and Steven, uh, you know, to make this show for you and make it the best quality possible for y'all. So we'd just like to give a very special thanks to our patrons, Connie Shee, Justin Lee, Nathan Hertwig, Isaiah Leslie, Andy Siner, Nick DeColandria, Sarah Smith, BJ Smith, Jessica Shitara, Jared Cantor, Tish Wells, Sarah Strain, and Sean Mahan. Thank you all so, so much for your support. And uh, we're just going to get into plugs here. So, Drea, please, first off, again, thank you so, so much for coming on. We heartily appreciate having you on for this really important discussion where can the good people find you uh, online and on your other projects? Well, thank you. Folks can find me on Twitter at Arkham Asylum Doc is my uh, handle on Twitter. It's, it's probably the, the best way to have like a, a conversation, a dialogue, and also to, to just learn about what I'm doing on the day-to-day. Instagram is the same, Arkham Asylum Doc. Uh, and then you can find my podcast, Lattes with Leia which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts pretty much and the Arkham sessions, which is about the psychology of Batman. Um, so please take a listen. I love to get feedback and, um, if you can probably already tell podcasting is, um, just a, a joy and a way for me to talk about psychology in, um, what I hope is just an, a relatable, fun time with folks. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to both of those podcasts. They're two of my favorite podcasts of all time. And Drea, the work you do is amazing. I cannot rate it highly enough. Um, thank you so much. And by the way, thank you for um, your recent letter to Lattes with Leia about toxicity and fandom and for um, just articulating some of your um, complex thoughts uh, about that. I, I, well, we both really appreciated um, your submission. Thank you so much. And that was a fantastic episode about Phantom Toxicity. Everyone should check it out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Suarez Seawalker. That's S-W-A-R-Z-S-E-A-W-A-L-K-E-R. I talk politics, data, Star Wars. But recently, I've just become a Spider-Man account because I love Into the Spider-Verse so much. It's literally one of my favorite films of all time. And you can follow Beltway Banthas on Twitter at Beltway Banthas. And please hit us up on iTunes with some five-star ratings and reviews. Those help the show very much. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in again to Beltway Banthas. And uh, this is our last uh, episode uh, of 2018. It just so happens, Drea, to be episode 66, Order 66, <gasps> if you will. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and this is perfect. This is amazing and perfect. Don't at me, people. Please don't <laughs> at me uh, about are you, this. Are you saying you want to kill all Jedi? Is that what you're saying, Drea? <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Uh, oh gosh, no. Oh gosh, no. Yeah, no. Can more. I? Yeah. I know we're ending here, but um, that scene in the film. Mm-hmm. I'm maybe I'm I'm speaking to I'm speaking out to people who had the same experience, but I was legit bawling during that scene. It's such a good like, scene. Yeah. Tears, tears rolling down my face. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we wrap up this episode of Beltway Banthas in 2018 with a commemoration of the thousands of Jedi that died under our beloved uncle Emperor Palpatine's hands. So thank, <laughs> so, so thank you all so much for tuning in and may the force be with you always. Always.